What's up, everybody? It's your boy, Brandon, back with another edition of the State of Bitcoin podcast, where I'm joined by CK. So CK is now working at Bitcoin Magazine. He brings a wealth of knowledge. We dive into the conference, everything you need to know about that. Great stuff in Bitcoin mining, energy-wise. Um, we talk a little bit about the Fed, uh, Bitcoin, uh, hyper-Bitcoinization, Nashville. We hit a bunch of various topics, and it was overall a great conversation. So be sure to tune in. And if you're listening on audio, hit that subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts. Give it a five-star rating. Do the boost thing on Fountain if you're listening on that or streaming some stats. It's greatly appreciated, and it helps the show grow. Also, if you're listening on audio and you want to check out some of the charts that he shows, be sure to check out my YouTube. The YouTube uh, is you know, what I'm trying to, trying to grow a little bit now, bring a little bit more video content to you guys so you can see my pretty face. So be sure to tune into that. Hit that subscribe button and like. And uh, as always, ladies and gentlemen, what you hear in this podcast should not be taken as financial advice. Everything you hear is strictly the opinion of myself and CK and does not reflect the opinion of Bitcoin Magazine or any of our employers. And lastly, it's for entertainment purposes only, so you should not take this as financial advice. Now, let's get into the show. Whoosh. Bing bong. I am live with another edition of the State of Bitcoin podcast. And for those listening on the video version on YouTube, thank you so much for listening on YouTube. Uh, smash that like button. Hit the subscribe to my channel. I'm nearing uh, 500 subs as we speak. So shameless shill here. But uh, I appreciate all the support and love from everybody. So that is greatly appreciated. Also, if you're listening on audio, any podcasting 2.0 apps such as Fountain. Thank you so much. There was a great response to the last episode with Wicked. I had two great boosts. Uh, so Doug and Droop uh, said, a great show. Wicked did a great job of explaining concepts I knew about. Uh, but turns out I had gaps in my knowledge. So, uh, yeah, shout out to Wicked. He explained UTXOs, cold storage, all that kind of stuff. And then Barn Miner said, uh, thanks for the shout out for the Bitcoin Bay Biz Workshop. So shout out to Barn Miner and uh, Bitcoin Bay. So if you're in Tampa Bay, you're listening, you're local. Uh, we do have a Bitcoin Bay Workshop for every single business owner that you could come. I believe that we'll be serving food. It essentially will, will allow you to learn a little bit more about, uh, you know, how you can use Bitcoin in your business, whether it's accounting, uh, taxes, storage, that kind of stuff. So that's taking place on April 23rd. Uh, I don't think I currently have it in the show notes right now, but I'm going to add that. So for those listening on audio, that should be in the show notes. And those in the video, it'll be coming soon. So look out for that on Eventbrite. And then now, shout out to my sponsors. So do you want to go to the biggest Bitcoin conference in the world? Well, Bitcoin Miami 2023 is around the corner. It's in May. And you can use promo code GREENCANDLE, that's all caps, one word, and get 10% off. So come hang out with Bitcoiners. I'll be down there. I'll be hanging out with a bunch of other people. There's going to be a bunch of other plebs. A uh, bunch of other big names as well. Save 10%. Use the promo code Green Candle and stack some more sats with that 10% that you're saving. And uh, come on down and hang out in Miami. And then lastly, shout out to Coddle Storage. So that's coddle.co. 
And you can use promo code Green Candle on there to get any kind of punch plates. He actually just sent me all these brand new ones here. So he's got, if you're watching this on YouTube, uh, you can see that I've got some of these new 12 and 24 plated word ones where they're of all different sizes. So we got like some tiny ones. I don't know. I'm a little guy. So this looks a little bigger probably against my face. But uh, yeah, go on there get a punch plate for passwords or your seed phrases and use promo code Green Candle for 10% off. All right, that was a mouthful. Enough of me just talking by myself. I got the man, the myth, the legend here. I got CK from uh, Bitcoin Mag. Man, how are you doing today? Brandon, thank you for having me on, man. I am doing great. Uh, we are moving towards the Bitcoin conference, 42 days away. So uh, my life is definitely uh, very busy, but we are cooking up a storm. And uh, I'll leak a little bit of alpha right here at the beginning of the show. But uh, this morning, we made it official that Bitcoin Amsterdam is happening as well. So uh, oh. keep an eye out for that to all the listeners. Uh, but we're, we're doing the Bitcoin conference. We're doing Bitcoin magazine, getting ready to launch a new one. And uh, just a lot of stuff is happening in Bitcoin. Lots of stuff happening at Bitcoin magazine. Good stuff. Yeah, for sure. So let's back it up a little bit. Well, who is CK? How did you get to Bitcoin magazine? Like, tell us the orange pill story. And uh, the whole night. And uh, well, I've done like 100 podcasts now and I tell my orange pill story all the time. So hopefully I can do it succinctly. But uh, I got into Bitcoin in 2017, uh, pretty much right after Bcash happened. So that was like fall of 2017. So uh, I wasn't that OG. I didn't get the Bcash airdrop, uh, but I was there to kind of see the fallout of like the block size debate. So I feel lucky that I was part of that and I could see that on Twitter. Um, but pretty much I was living in San Francisco, working as a salesperson in tech. I was on my second startup uh, and I'd kind of seen fundraising. I had kind of seen what happens in Silicon Valley, what that lifestyle is like, what those companies are like. Um, I was living in San Francisco. Those are all my friends. Uh, and 2017, like one of the big things with that bull market was the ICO mania. And a lot of people got caught up speculating on ICOs. And I entered Bitcoin. And I would say within like three months, I saw through the ICO mania, which uh, is, is pretty fast for most people. Um, but I think it's just because I was, I was primed to be skeptical. Uh, and then on top of that, uh, I I just saw what you know fundraising looked like for businesses, and ICO mania was just a fucking mania. Like that was some wild shit. I was going to some parties in Silicon Valley, and uh, they they were just absolutely absurd. And these these ICO projects uh, with no businesses at all were like raising ten x more than like a real startup. So it didn't take that long for me just to Google what's wrong with ICOs, what's wrong with blockchain. And the only people saying anything that was like relevant were Bitcoin maximalists. So, you know, within like three months of kind of like getting into Bitcoin, buying Bitcoin, uh, I discovered the Bitcoin maximalists. It was pretty obvious even then that they were the smartest people in the room by far. Uh, and uh, yeah, the, the rest is kind of history. Two weeks before Christmas 2017, I quit my job. And if you look at the chart, like that's the tippity top of the of that bull market. So I quit my my job at the top literally, and uh, you know I had no plan, but I bought a ticket to the North American Bitcoin Conference, and I met the people at BTC Inc. Uh, someone who doesn't work for us anymore. His name was Bryce. He was a CRO. Shook my hand. I said, 
sales, Bitcoin, San Francisco. Uh, he gave me his card. He said, give, you know, give me a call. I think we could make, we could make something work. And then, you know, that was like late January, mid February, I was working here. And, you know, I've, I've kind of been through the roller coaster of a bear and bull market here at Bitcoin magazine. I've seen the company like grow up in front of me uh, and, you know, went from salesperson to um, media person to operations person. Um, now the GM at the company. Uh, and it's been a wild ride. It's been a lot of fun uh, kind of being in Bitcoin around five years now. Uh, but that's that's my general Bitcoin story. Yeah, man, it sounds like a wild ride uh, to say the very least. But, you know, would you say, I guess, like, you know, it seems like everybody's Bitcoin story, they've kind of shit coined some some way, shape or form here or there. But yours, you had a little bit more exposure to, I guess, the ICO craze when you were in, you know, Silicon Valley. You know, you're describing a little bit of those parties and kind of the wildness of people raising here or there. So do you think that that kind of, I guess, helped you maybe avoid the shit coining or did you kind of get into that a little bit here or there? you know, as everybody kind of does at the beginning of their journey. Yeah, I think th there's two distinct versions of shitcoining. There's shitcoining like, wow, this token's the future. And then there's shitcoining like, I'm going to trade and try to get more Bitcoin. So very quickly, I got onto the DCA Bitcoin train. Like that was a pretty, that was pretty much a no brainer. Um, but I would say that going from the like, oh, I'm going to try to speculate and trade on shitcoins to make more Bitcoin. It took me a little bit to get over that. You know, at this point, I'm just like so busy working in Bitcoin that like I don't have time for that shit. Um, and I'm just focused on Bitcoin. Uh, but I, I pretty much never had the like, oh, this shitcoin is the future. You know, I was never convinced by any of that. Uh, I, how I started doing media in the space, I was doing a podcast with David Hoffman, who uh, is now like this big wig at Bankless. Uh, but we used to argue Bitcoin versus Ethereum. Uh, and w before that, David and I actually went to college together and we were just our only friends that were into crypto. So we're like, all right, well, like, you know, we don't agree. So let's let's just like hash it out and see what we, we could do. And that kind of launched both of our careers. Yeah, that is interesting. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's crazy because I don't know, I, I started this with a with a buddy, Dan, and we kind of have like, I guess, similar views on, on Bitcoin and crypto. Um, and uh, yeah, he ended up getting a job in the industry, so he, he couldn't continue on with me. But it was kind of like a similar thing where we were the only two really talking about it in our friend group. So we kind of just started uh, this uh, green candle stuff to see where, where it goes. But um, yeah, so now that brings you into, you know, obviously you're working at Bitcoin Magazine now. You guys are doing great things. You're having a bunch of writers come in and out. Um, and then, yeah, the Bitcoin conference, right? This big old event um, that you guys have been putting on for, for quite some time. So, uh, you know, I, I guess what's your most, uh, I guess, uh, most thing that you're looking forward to when it comes to the conference? And uh, yeah, how does that, that whole like scenario go? Like planning it, like how much, invo how much involvement do you have? with, uh, you know, put together, putting together this huge event? Really good question, Brandon. Um, I've described this event as like a massive, massive project. Like think of a project with like 10,000 outputs, 10,000 inputs, 10,000 outputs. Uh, so many stakeholders, like everyone hates us because they know how important the event is. And like, there's, there's always something that is like, gonna like fall short disappoint you or not be in line like 
It's just there's too many people to please. You can't please them all across the entire spectrum of this huge, like, three-day thing. Uh, so it's wild. Like, I don't know how long I can be in the events business because it's just absolutely taxing. And, you know, you know we're doing multiple events a year now. So it's not just the Bitcoin conference, but it's other Bitcoin conferences bringing that same energy to other places across the globe. So uh, that's a really exciting opportunity is, is just continued to feed the Bitcoin community, which is they want as much stuff as possible. Um, but man, it is a lot of fun too. So uh, in my role, like I kind of help people in every role. Like I can't be Superman or anything like that, but it's really just kind of like uh, keeping the team marching along, like, you know, chipping away at this massive project and putting ourselves in position to pull it off. Uh, and then trying to help and li liaison with the community as much as possible. Um, we taught, we, we depend on the Bitcoin community, to put this event on. Like there's a reason this is one of the biggest events in, fin in like the entire FinTech space soon to be the entire energy space, because I think this is a FinTech uh, sovereignty energy conference. Uh, you know, that's, those are kind of like the, the kind of macro components of Bitcoin to some degree. So uh, this event is like this instantiation of what is happening in Bitcoin once a year. And, you know, it, that's a fleeting thing too. Like it's, it's gone from conference to conference, but for the last, you know, 2019, 2021, 2022, uh, it's been this event. It's going to be this event in 2023. So I'm really excited to uh, do something special, but um yeah, I don't know. It's been awesome to see it grow too. 2019, 1900 people, 2022, 25,000 people. Uh, you know, that's pretty epic. Yeah. So I, I don't know how much you could dive into to the sponsors, but it's been a big like kind of wave and talking point that Shell is now one of the bigger sponsors of this conference. And, uh, you know, like you like you kind of said, it's, it seems like it's getting more to like, I guess, the energy side of things where, uh, you know, I mean, there was mining panels on the last couple uh, and things like that. Do you think that there's going to be, I guess, a little bit more of a focus on that when it comes to, to this one? Yeah, well, so Bitcoin 22, we had an entire mining stage. So we're going to have the mining stage again. We have four stages, uh, Nakamoto stage, which is the main stage. Uh, we have the open source stage and open source lounge area. Uh, we have an industry stage and then or slash enterprise stage. And then we have a mining stage. Uh, and yeah, we energy is woven throughout the content at the event. Um, you know, sponsors, no sponsors, you know, miners by themselves are one of the biggest elements of Bitcoin, one of the biggest elements of the stakeholders of our of our conference. Uh, there's an entire miner area and an entire miner museum at the event uh, where like pretty much the entire history of Bitcoin ASICs will be displayed there. Um, and Bitcoin miners are one of the you know growing cohorts of people that are involved in in the entire energy space, um, and that's just going to continue to grow. So uh, this year, there's a huge miner presence. Uh, you know, I think Bitcoin, if you look at the hash rate, Bitcoin mining has never been uh, a better business to be in. Uh, you know, it might be harder than it was in the past, but you know, it's a real executable business that you know people are operating real real companies. Uh, you know, doing at large scale. And it's really impressive, honestly. So I don't think that's going to change. And yeah, I, I think this event is a fintech and energy event. And, you know, as Bitcoin is becomes more relevant in more fields, the scope of this event 
continues to uh, increase too. So a lot of potential here, really exciting stuff. Yeah, for sure. Well, let's dive into, uh, I guess, a little bit of that, like on the mining end of things, because I think this is like the first cycle that we've really seen like a, you know, bear market, but we've seen the hash rate kind of increase. So it does seem like, you know, although, you know, like you kind of said, um, you know, that mining has maybe gotten a little bit more difficult. They've had to, you know, worry about costs a little bit more or, you know, find unique ways to, whether it's reuse power from, um, you know, capturing that flare gas or using some sort of natural energy source, miners have kind of had to get creative. Um, So do you kind of see this as like, I guess, a pretty bullish signal that, um, you know, we've kind of seen hash rate continually increase throughout, um, you know, this bear market. And, uh, you know, although the price has been uh, kind of depreciated. Yeah, um, I don't really like look into the, even like the one year kind of trends that much as I look at like the big trend. Uh, but yeah, I mean, my personal expectation is, you know, in the next 10 years, mining is one of the most like central pieces of in- infrastructure on the planet. So, you know, this is just the beginning. I think you can't be a legitimate energy producer that is competitive in the future without Bitcoin mining. Uh, and then because of Bitcoin mining, it will open the door to so much more energy capture that our even our frame of energy today will look like, I don't know, uh, you know, we live in an, Ill, in an energy illiterate world still, you know, it's like there, a lot of the world still doesn't even have electricity. Like I think Bitcoin is going to be the incentive that changes that. Uh, and it's going to be like things are going to play out in ways that like none of us are smart enough to predict, like it's going to be wild, but it's going to be because Bitcoin changed the kind of like the incentives in, in the energy production game. So it's going to be huge. Um, and yeah, I think hash rate's going to continue to go up. Like there's only one direction. It's up. It's not going to stop. No, that, that, that's a great point. And I, and I agree a hundred percent. I think that's going to be some incentives, uh, you know, to, to continue to, you know, utilize energy sources and, you know, find creative ways to mine and whether that's use the runoff heat or something along those lines, I think, you know, there's going to be a lot of development when it comes to the mining space to say the least. I saw, I saw you went off mute there. So I don't know if you want to kind of add anything to, to what I just said there or no. Yeah. I mean, I would love to get the listeners super bullish because I think a lot of Bitcoiners are really bullish on like Bitcoin as a sound money and what that does to the world. But I would say like distributed proof of work might be have an even bigger impact on the world than uh, sound money in a digital age. Like that might be ludicrous, but uh, I think like the beautiful thing is Bitcoin has both. Like Bitcoin is just even more of a, a blessing, if you will, because it solves so many problems. But um, really, like Bitcoin is going to have such a positive impact in so many areas of our lives, but energy is going to be huge. You know, imagine people who don't have any energy today, which is like a double digit percentage, you know, 30 plus percent. They have energy. Like, what does that do to the planet? Like, these people can access the internet. Now they can contribute to society. You know, a lot of these people have no way to buy something on the internet. Like, imagine your life without like that basic ability. And Bitcoin can change that. It's 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 going to be crazy. 
A hundred percent. And I don't think people like kind of, I, I guess, you know, at, at first when people start going through the rabbit hole, they kind of understand the decentralization aspect of it. But I don't know if like, they like kind of fully grasp how, how like important that is. I, I, I don't know if you saw this. It's behind a paywall. So I haven't been able to read the article. But this article was published by the Wall Street Journal like six hours ago from this recording. So earlier this morning. And uh, the title is Decentralized Cryptocurrency Markets Threaten U.S. Security Treasury, uh, U.S. Security, the Treasury says. So, I mean, like, it seems like we're getting to that point where now politicians are kind of waking up to it and like understanding that they want to keep that, you know, centralized control. Um, so, you know, I guess, uh, you know, I've heard you on a few other podcasts about like, I know that you're a sovereign individual uh, enthusiast and kind of, you know, uh, ascribe to that theory and everything like that. So um, do you think we're getting kind of closer to the, I guess, quote unquote, now they fight us stage where, you know, we're, we're going to have to, I guess, really understand how we're, we're utilizing cold storage and some of these other methods to, you know, store and transact Bitcoin and other things like that, because, you know, it seems like there's going to be a target on decentralized cryptocurrency. And the only one that's truly decentralized is Bitcoin. Yeah, I mean... I think people need to be as strategic as possible uh, with their Bitcoin and need to be thinking about what the future could hold and what the existing power structure might want to do in that transition. Uh, so it's super important. Um, some alarming stuff is happening at the same time. Uh, some bullish things are happening. And I think one of the things that, is really exciting about Bitcoin is its advantages over gold. You know, gold has really been this amazing money, but it just kind of like hit this peak where technology, um, commerce, all of that stuff sped up and gold just could not be the money anymore. Um, and that left, a, uh, that left an opportunity for fiat to kind of fill the void and credit to fill the void and all this crap. And now here's Bitcoin. So um, filling filling that void with like a sound money on the internet, it's it, it's also just an, an insane kind of game changer. So um, I'm I'm kind of lost where the question was going anyway. So I don't even know if I answered your question. <laughs> no, no, you're fine. You're fine. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I kind of want to get into, you know, you mentioned at the beginning of like some of the doom and gloom stuff that's going on, right? So uh, some of the negative things on the on the outside, but I mean, I think it all kind of ties into Bitcoin and how, uh, you know, resilient Bitcoin's been during all this. So obviously, you know, we've seen Silicon Valley Bank, uh, they were funding a lot of these, you know, shitcoin projects, uh, you know, kind of a lot of these growth tech companies were having their money in this bank and you know, there's a bank run, you know, that I had a full episode on it and everything like that so people they want to listen to it check out the macro insights podcast on that but regardless of all that um you know we're, we're kind of have you know we're having like potential of a bank crisis i guess in the united states maybe it's been overblown and whatnot but it seems like you know bitcoin is kind of holding resilient so you know i guess in amidst of all of this i guess uh you know, banking situation and kind of, you know, woeful economic outlook in the future. Um, you know, I guess, uh, how do you view Bitcoin has been responding? And why do you think it's been, uh, I guess, so resilient against all of this? Um, 
Yeah, I mean, part of this, I think, is like Bitcoin's moment a little bit. Part of it is sellers are exhausted and we got to a, a technical bottom. Uh, I don't know if that's actually uh, a reality, but that's what people say. Um, part of it is like, you know, the Bitcoin cycles. I think Preston Pitch something, said something that was super interesting, which is that like the, the Bitcoin cycles um, are almost like programmatic destruction of fiat. Like it, it's almost like Bitcoin getting more valuable over time. If you like layer the charts over each other, like they look so similar that it almost almost looks like it's like this programmatic destruction of fiat. So, I mean, man, it's when you when you like try to think about um, how that. Yeah, I mean, like when you when you try to think about like how how these cycles play out, um, you know how Bitcoin is responding to the current situation uh, in the world. Uh, it like you you kind of question like is Bitcoin even responding to this stuff, or is this just like how the supply and demand works? You know, as as it is releasing blocks and it's being adopted on a on a specific curve. So that's a little tangent to be like, I don't know what the fuck is happening. Right. Like it, like the, the whole spectrum of how Bitcoin is being adopted. Like we're just all speculating. Um, but it feels like, right. To answer your question, it feels like this is Bitcoin's time, right? Like the uh, Bitcoin's price went up because banks are starting to fail and people are turning to Bitcoin. And I know that insiders did turn to Bitcoin, Right. People who already trust in Bitcoin, they're like, yeah, I'm taking my money out of the bank and putting it into Bitcoin. That feels way safer to me. But I don't know how many people who didn't feel comfortable with Bitcoin were were converted yet. Like, I, I feel like we're not quite there yet. Um, so we'll see. Like, it seems like Project Cho- uh, this Project Choke Point 2.0, like, it feels like it's a real thing. It feels like Bitcoin's going to be collateral damage for shitcoining. Um, and regulators are going to kind of go after a lot of stuff in one fu- like big swoop. Um, so we'll see what happens. 2024, having and a presidential election. Um, it's going to be super political. You know, Bitcoin, I think it's going to be a big topic. Um, people are saying bullish things. People think that Bitcoin's price is going to be really high by the conference, right? They're like, it's going to be double where we're at, at the conference. Like, I mean, I hope so. That would make my job easier. That's for sure. But um, gosh, like it's been chopping right now for a minute. Like it could it could fight these levels for a month and a half. Like that would that would be that'd be tough, but it's totally in the realm of possibilities. And in terms of the banking crisis, things are looking bearish for the economy. Like oil production is going down. Oil oil production, the only thing going down faster than uh, oil the only thing going down faster than oil production is oil demand. So oil demand is actually going down faster than oil production. And usually that's a leading indicator for economic, uh, economic activity is lessening. Uh, another indicator is shipping rates uh, from China are like the chart is just straight down and then a plateau. You know, uh, they're nothing like they were in 2020. They're nothing like they were in 2019. Like it, it's looking bad. Uh, there's a whole bunch of other indicators that uh, just don't look good. So, um, yeah, I mean, there, there's definitely going to be more stress. There's definitely going to be more issues. 
we'll see if people turn to Bitcoin. Yeah. And I mean, I, I think it's a, it's an interesting point that you made there. It's like, well, can we really equate to what, what's going on to like the Bitcoin kind of like leveling off? I think, you know, when you're in, uh, when you're on Twitter all the time or like checking out the news or everything like that, it seems like all these economic signals are kind of doom and gloom. So when Bitcoin's kind of holding true to all of this, you want to think that, oh, well, Bitcoin's being resilient, but how can you really equate the two? I mean, it's difficult to say. And, uh, you know, I agree with you on that point where it's like, all right, well, if you really like zoom out um, on the Silicon Valley Bank, it was one bank that, you know, was very poorly mismanaged. And, uh, you know, as far as like a percentage wise of the overall banking industry, it was pretty small. And generally speaking, over, you know, over the years, uh, regional banks kind of get swallowed up. Uh, but the reason that this one made so many headlines, uh, it seems like it's because of the involvement in a lot of a lot of startups and, and crypto and everything like that. So I think that's big why money, I, big money stakeholders. Yeah, exactly. And that, like, they, got, they got a podcast and demanded that their accounts and their innocent startups have their funds uh, returned to them and be covered. I mean, it's not I don't want to brush under the rug. I think it's the, the first of many. Right. And it sometimes takes like 18 months for this stuff to play out. Um, so it, like this is definitely an opportunity for Bitcoin. I just like I don't know how much of this Bitcoin price action is due to SVB. Yeah, no. And I, and I agree with you there, too. Right. I mean, like we, we don't know if we've hit the bottom or not. You know, if you, if you look at some other the chart guys on Twitter, they probably said that that we've done that already. And, and we're cr- kind of creeping up as we're nearing the having next year. Um, but I don't know. We'll see. We'll see where we're at in the cycle. I don't really know. I don't really like to call into the price action or every, or anything like that. But, um, you know, you, you kind of brought up adoption, which I think is pretty interesting. So obviously, you know, at the Bitcoin conference, you can pay with a lot of things in Bitcoin. Um, you know, obviously El Salvador and a lot of other places seem to be starting to accept Bitcoin. Uh, I believe you're in Nashville, if that's if that's correct, where uh, Bitcoin Magazine is kind of headquartered. So you guys have like a little Bitcoin Citadel going on there and in Austin and, you know, some of these other places uh, too around around the globe. So, uh, you know, as far as like, I guess, the Nashville Bitcoin scene from an outsider, I haven't been to Bitcoin Park yet or anything like that. I've been to one Nashville meetup. Um, so for somebody who's basically not really been around the scene in Nashville too much, like how is adoption going at, at, on that like city level? Obviously, Bitcoin mags there and everything. But, um, you know, does the average normie, I guess, uh, I guess, have some sort of awareness to Bitcoins somewhat there or not? None at all at all. Yeah, I would say like it's definitely a hub for the Bitcoin community. So there's a lot of Bitcoiners here um, because Bitcoin Park is here. Bitcoin Magazine is here. Um, there's these monthly events that are happening um it's just a really great hub um it's also kind of like a hot spot for people to like come together it's uh they call it nash vegas it's like one of the top um bachelorette party places like it's it's like a happening in in the zeitgeist city so um it's just like a good spot to be i would say bitcoin adoption is like uh, in terms of like p2p and like uh, at stores and stuff like that it's okay. You know, you can go to the farmer's market. There's like a really great farmer. His name is Josh. Yeah, he'll sell you meat for Bitcoin. Um, there's a few places here and there. Uh, there's Bitcoin ATMs. But I'd say it's more like the community is here. You know, you can definitely buy stuff at Bitcoin Park with Bitcoin. That's the only thing they accept. Um, we have a little store, Bitcoin Magazine, the Bitcoin Magazine Art Gallery. 
uh, we will we accept Bitcoin. Uh, and there's a bunch of other stuff that just kind of around, uh, you know, some food trucks. Uh, for, I think it was like a, it may have been like a Middle Eastern food food truck. They accept Bitcoin. But yeah, it's it's not like, you know, an entire street accepts Bitcoin or anything like that. There's definitely more developed places for sure. But there's a lot of Bitcoiners here. That's for sure. There's a lot of like, just like the, the Citadel part, I think is definitely very true. Yeah, and that, that kind of, uh, you know, as an outsider looking in, I, I feel like I got to make a trip up there to kind of uh, experience it all because I spent a t- some time in Austin and I got to see, you know, kind Come of- Come on down next week, man. Yeah. Well, there's, yeah, there's a whole week of things. Week, but, oh, do you guys have a big event going on next week? Yeah, yeah, Bitcoin Park. Oh, uh, okay. Well, but I mean, every month. I think okay. it's like every second week. Okay. Yeah, maybe I'll have to I'll have to make a trip out there now um, before. Uh, yeah, I'll have to make a trip now out there know. at the end of the year. Yeah, now I know. Um, but, uh, you know, what? one thing I do think, you know, as far as like adoption, whether it's, you know, at a, I guess, a city level or other things like that is I think, you know, one thing that we're seeing in this back to the banking crisis is that people are kind of, I guess, realizing that, hey, like my money in the bank isn't necessarily safe. Right. Like the current system that I grew up in that, you know, I was was, I guess, bred to believe or kind of maybe brainwashed. I don't know to believe that, you know, everything is, uh, you know, working smoothly and that the bank's always going to have my money. And that's the safe place to put it and everything like that. I think this kind of woke up like a lot of average normies. So I think there's been two kind of big events that, uh, you know, which are fairly recent. Right. So we've seen the Silicon Valley Bank blow up. Um, which made a lot of headlines. And then, you know, in 2020, with the lockdowns, everybody kind of printing money, and then now they're kind of experiencing that massive amounts of inflation. So on that note, with like kind of, uh, I guess, the economic state that we're in, um, you know, obviously, it seems like doom and gloom. We had the jobless reports come out today, and uh, they were higher than anticipated. Powell has said higher for longer, that kind of stuff. So it seems like everybody's kind of paying attention to more of the macro events. Um, so do you think that because of this, like the average person is maybe not, I guess, awake to Bitcoin, but more so aware of, you know, uh, what they're spending their money on, kind of uh, how much more expensive eggs are, for example, than uh, than they were a year or two ago, or maybe even gas? Do you think that they're kind of, I guess, understanding some of the cracks in the overall system? Yeah, I mean... Uh, I think right now I would say Bitcoin, I define Bitcoin adoption as someone who is like taking custody of their Bitcoin or the, the, the asterisks there is like, or they are like consciously abstaining and like they could take custody, but they're purposely putting it in, in another situation. Like that's what I think is Bitcoin adoption. And I think that's a pretty good proxy for someone who is like now paying attention to what the what the h is happening so right now we're at 0.01 percent of that in terms of the entire globe we're at less than that 0.001 percent you know there's probably like you know 40 million people that are doing that you know there's 8 billion people so you can you can put that in the calculator it's a small number so we got a long way to go man and People have gotten burned in other countries. I think America's experience is going to be pretty shocking to a lot of Americans. But like, you know, I was just in Argentina and they've been through this like three or four times um, in their lifetimes. So, you know, a lot of people have been through this and they just always go back to the dollar. So 
who knows how long it's going to take to kind of break that heuristic. But um, I'm pretty bullish on Bitcoin. I, you know, I think people adopted cell phones in about 10 years. You know, when I, it took about 10 years from like, hey, you can get an iPhone. Sorry, when I said cell phone, like a smartphone. Uh, you know, you, you it went, took about 10 years to, from uh, when you could get your hands on something that's like the right form factor that, that was kind of like the right fit of like what was going to take off and then grandma using it. Right. So 2008, that's when the iPhone came out. 2018, my grandma was using an iPad for sure. She'd probably been using an iPad in like 2015, 2014. Uh, so less than that. So my heuristic is like, I kind of like layer that over Bitcoin adoption. Maybe it'll take a little bit longer because money is kind of sticky. But, um, you know, fiat's pretty bad. The banks don't work that well. Bitcoin works really well. And that's the key is like Bitcoin is is simply it's like money that works. It's digital money that works. Can't fuck with it. Everyone else does not have that. It doesn't matter how rich or poor you are. Like that is a innovation that is pretty, pretty huge. Yeah, to say the least. And, uh, you know, you, you mentioned something interesting there about Argentina. And I, I kind of want to bring this up about how they, you know, I guess reverted to the dollar because it seems like, you know, countries globally are kind of trying to get away from that. You know, the BRICS nations have kind of gotten at this headline that they're coming together um, and potentially creating their own BRICS currency, you know, however that that's going to go. And, uh, you know, we're, we're having some countries now apply to get into BRICS, Mexico probably being one of the bigger bigger names because it's, you know, our downstairs neighbor. Um, and, uh, you know, the, there's a handful of others, I believe, Japan, Australia, New Zealand, and some of these other ones as well. So it seems like a lot of countries are starting to, I guess, use either the Chinese yuan or some other currency in order to trade uh, internationally, uh, which, you know, is kind of showing some some weakness in the dollar. Um, so do you kind of, uh, I guess, think that, you know, the dollar might fail before, I guess, Bitcoin succeeds, uh, whether that's uh, something like a Chinese digital Chinese yuan is created or uh you know, do you think like that there's going to be somebody that's able to, I guess, in, in, in a sense, dethrone the dollar before we get to, I guess, this hyper Bitcoinized uh, world? OK, so great question. I'll do my best to answer it. I just want to caveat that, you know, I'm not an expert. Uh, this is just me uh, as like a I'd say like active observer of all these things. Um, this is kind of like my speculation here. I do a show called FedWatch with a really good economist. His name is Ansel Lindner um, every Thursday. So we did one earlier today, uh, but we do it every single Thursday, um, you know, on Bitcoin Magazine YouTube. And we talk macro, we talk Bitcoin, we talk, you know, what is happening around the globe. It's like a very global focused, very central bank focused uh, type of show, hence the name FedWatch. But the thesis on that show, and I would say like, I definitely agree with it, is that there is no, there's not going to be an alt fiat. Like the dollar is the last fiat. And the idea is what is happening now is like the whole dollar system is crashing down. It's, it's falling apart. We see that in front of us, you know, who knows how long it'll take, but it's like, that's, that's the momentum. Um, as that is breaking down, what, what actually happens is that like, the dollar can become less desirable politically and strategically, and it can also slay all the other fiat currencies simultaneously. 
Um, so it's going to kind of like the dollar is going to kill all the fiats on its way down. Um, but with that being said, like we don't think that there's going to be an all like they're like the the bricks coin. I don't think that they're going to be able to ship it. Like they're not going to get momentum on it. Like maybe there'll be something here. Maybe there'll be something there. Maybe there'll be a few years of like people actually trying to like barter with secondary fiat. But where's Bitcoin going to be? You know, that's that's always the wild card is like, where is Bitcoin going to be? When is it just going to be objectively obvious that it's an economic advantage to just stop Bitcoin? Um, Bitcoin is for enemies. So I don't know when that moment is going to happen or how desperate countries are going to get. But I I really do think that it's going to be like the crumbling dollar system. And that includes all the fiats and then the rising Bitcoin system. And, you know, maybe there's maybe there's a plateau where one crumbles and it like flatlines for a while and then Bitcoin emerges. Maybe, you know, maybe they they still, you know, they they cross each other and Bitcoin is like the arc and saves us from max pain. You know, it's too hard to tell. So I I just I don't think Bricks coin is serious. I don't think it's going to be a real thing. I don't think people are going to use a Chinese CBDC like CBDCs versus Bitcoin is like internets versus inter- the internet. Like, which one won? Like, I don't think anyone... Do you know name of any of the internet competitors that are being pushed, you know, in the... Whatever let's call it, early 90s. No, no. 80s, 90s. Yeah, yeah, so... Whatever whatever the Euro CBDC will be the same thing. Yeah, and that, that's a fair point. Um, it, and it, you know, I was in a space the other day, just kind of listening to some, you know, economists like argue back and forth about it. And it's like, you know, at the end of the day, if you want to use this, you know, BRICS currency or the digital Chinese yuan, you know, you might accept it, but what are you going to do with it immediately after? Probably convert it into dollars because you need to, you know, use it to be able to spend. And you know, the uh, store clerk on the corner is not going to accept this BRICS coin whatever it is or chinese yuan they're gonna you know want to convert that into dollars i mean yeah i mean dollars are just like no one's gonna want to hold yuan you know for the same reason that no one's gonna want to hold the bitcoin because the ccp controls it and they have leverage over anyone who uses it it's the same reason right so the incentives kind of go to like like it turns into barter Like literally it's like fiat barter. Like the only reason the fiat system like is scalable right now is because it's all, it's all converged to one. So if you go to this like bipolar world, like I don't think that there's going to be a a very long time where there's like multiple currencies that like have big chunks. I think it's really going to coalesce around one. And I I really do think it's going to just be Bitcoin adoption because there's no other option that works. Yeah, that's fair to say. But because you have the show on the Fed, I, I kind of want to dive into that as our last little little block here on the on this podcast. So obviously, you know, they've made a lot of headlines and it seems like, you know, now the market, uh, you know, take for what it is. The market is very forward looking. They've projected, I think, 100 basis points of cuts by January last time I checked. Um, so I could have been wrong, could have been updated by now. But it seems like the market's kind of calling for this Fed pivot. And Jerome Powell's been kind of, uh, I guess, putting his foot down, so to speak, where he's been saying higher for longer. He's going to continue to raise and all this and that. But the market's been screaming for, you know, a pivot. So, you know, one, like, what do you think of the job he's been doing so far? And uh, where do you think he goes the rest of the year? 
Okay, so uh, can I share my screen, actually? Is that possible? You're muted if you're trying to actually talk to me. Yeah, you can. You can uh, You can do that right, real quick. There's a present button on the bottom, so go ahead and do okay. that and pull it up. Okay. Um, yep, here we go. There it is. All so right. this is from this is a, a chart from FedWatch. So this is U.S. Treasury yields. What you see with these lines is the Fed uh, raising rates, and then what you see with all these different squiggly lines these are these are different um, bonds. So these are different Treasuries. So uh, the, I think the black is the uh, is the shortest term, and then the green is the longest term. But pretty much what you can see is that very clearly rates were up and the Fed chased rates. And now the Fed is diverging from where rates are going. Rates are going down and then the Fed is going to chase the rates. So why I'm showing you this is because the real question is, is the Fed even in charge? Uh. I think this chart shows you pretty clearly that they're not like... So what they're doing is like they're pretending to be in charge and they're like following. Like, look how much higher rates got before they even started. Like, so they're saying rates are this and then these are what the rates were. Like everyone was just ignoring them. And then they're like, oh, we're raising rates. And they didn't even catch up until November. So that's when they like actually caught up. So it's a very interesting chart. Yeah, that is pretty interesting to, to say the least. So you think that, you know, I guess Powell in a sense is almost like looking at the market and kind of analyzing it in that sense and saying like, hey, you know, this guy like essentially just like following the market. Maybe he's got his Bloomberg terminal open or what, but uh, he's just not really, I guess, in charge because I mean, it, that is an interesting point, though, because I mean, raising rates at this historic pace that he did, um, you know, it, it seems kind of... Uh, I don't know. It was like a ballsy play in a sense where it was just like uh, shock the market in a sense where you're going to raise them so quickly that that's how you're going to quote unquote combat inflation. Yeah. I mean, you saw the chart. Um, you could say that the market's expectation of his future rate drove them to front run it. Um, that's an interpretation, but the way I interpret it is the market was first and he was chasing it the whole time. And now the market is signaling lower. It's it's saying the real rates are actually lower, um, and versus the Fed the Fed funds rate where they're they're setting their 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 levels. So do they like no one? No one in the market is respecting you know their their rates. So um, does that mean he's going to chase? Does that mean something will break if he doesn't chase? Does that mean everyone is eventually going to realize as these things diverge that, oh, they're not in control? I don't know. Like, I don't think that they're in control. That's for sure. And that's why we Bitcoin. Because yeah. you don't have to trust Jerome Powell or anyone else to be in control. Yeah, and that's a, that's a great point there. Because, you know, I think that that's another aspect of the decentralization that people don't really, I, I guess, grasp in a sense is that, you know, eventually in a Bitcoin, uh, hyper Bitcoinization or hyper Bitcoin world, you know, you don't really need to have a, a Federal Reserve essentially like setting the interest rates or anything like that. Um, well, I mean, I guess if, if it comes to, to lending, I guess, I don't know, I don't know how that would really work if they if you would be end up lending, uh, 
you know, Bitcoin, but you wouldn't need a central bank. Theoretically, you wouldn't need kind of a federal reserve, all this kind of stuff. And people could focus on, you know, some other things and other tasks and, you know, maybe more some creative things or, you know, helping sustain the world and other things like that. So, um, you know, on that note, like, I guess, with like Powell kind of, uh, it almost seems like he's, like you said, kind of being controlled by the market, which is interesting. I haven't really heard that perspective before. Um, you know, I guess, is that kind of always going to be the case? Like, where does it go from here? Because if Powell and, uh, you know, the Fed kind of lets the market then dictate everything, then, you know, what's the point of having somebody in the Fed if we're just essentially going to have this, uh, you know, decentral, not quote unquote, decentralized, uh, you know, movement of things of interest rates and other things like that, if we just allow the market to control things? Yeah, I mean, uh, fighting the market is uh, it is just something that doesn't work for a long time, or it is not ineffective uh, on you know any medium to long term uh, length. So, uh, really, what I think happens is like the market is happening, everyone is experiencing that. That's just life happening, and then there is impediments to the market, and there's confusion and uh, information destruction and lies that are added into the market. That's what central banking does. So what Bitcoin is, is complete transparency on the base layer, complete transparency of the code, complete audibility of the supply. Um, it, you know, like Bitcoin is such an upgrade on gold where if you wanted to verify gold, like right now I own gold, right? And the gold, the gold ounces are inside plastic that are sealed by the person that sealed it that has credibility. Like, I don't have the ability to actually authenticate that gold. I am having to trust the person who minted it, sealed it in the plastic. And if I break the plastic, now no one will buy it from me until it gets authenticated. So like it's some arcane shit. Like I can validate all of my Bitcoin using my computer and not only all of my Bitcoin everyone else's Bitcoin too, right? So like authenticating the entire supply and everyone is is free to do that. Um, so it's just like uh, in terms of human sovereignty, like your ability to control your wealth, your ability as an economy, either as an individual actor or as bigger actors to know what is actually happening with the market without distortion and lies and confusion and, you know, the high priests of fiat getting on stage and telling you to pay attention to them. Like imagine the productivity gains from that. Imagine the better allocation of capital that comes from that. Um, it's like, that's the promise of Bitcoin. That's the promise of sound money. Yeah, that that's great. All right. So uh, last question before I, before we wrap it up here is uh, I'll take one for Ben Sessions. So shout out to BTC Sessions. What makes you most bullish as we're like, what you said, 42 days away from this conference. Uh, so we're nearing up on a Bitcoin conference and uh, you know, we've had a lot of craziness and we've kind of gone through a lot of stuff in the, the overall macro environment that doesn't exactly seem, I guess, bullish going forward, but you know, there's a lot of great things going on in Bitcoin. So what makes you more bullish or most bullish on Bitcoin uh, going forward? Oh, man, uh, I'm so bullish on Bitcoin. I wish I like, came up with a, a very specific reason to be bullish. Um, I think that like Bitcoin is a little under attack in the West. Uh, it's attacked in the banking system right now. Um, but at the same time, 
everything is good for Bitcoin. So what that does is it actually promotes self-custody and it promotes peer-to-peer. So if you live in China, you can still get Bitcoin. But how do you do it? You text someone and then you do a peer-to-peer transfer, right? So just a completely different scenario. And that is much harder to squash, even if everyone's on WeChat, right? Um, So what you're going to see in places where they kind of like crack down or make it hard to transfer Bitcoin for fiat is you just see the emergence of this P2P layer and tools to make that P2P layer better. And that makes Bitcoin and the network and the users even more hardened. So I think that that's bullish. So bring on the weak attacks. Um, there's a saying, you know, you, when you come for the king, you best not miss. So Bitcoin's the king. Bitcoin's a honey badger. Like you get one shot, so you best not miss. And my bet's that they miss. Yeah, I'm, I'm willing to make that bet as well. So CK, you've been very generous with your time. So I appreciate you coming on. Why don't you tell everybody uh, what you got going on and where they can find you? Y'all, I work at Bitcoin Magazine. If you're watching on YouTube, I'm showing you the most recent issue, the broke issue. We're about to drop a brand new issue. I can't, I can't leak the name, but very, very soon, like in the next week, we'll be dropping a new issue. Uh, so I personally think it's one of the best ones we've done. Our editors think it's the best one we've done. Uh, the cover is absolutely fucking sick. And uh, we're doing a lot of cool activations associated with that. Next, you know, after Bitcoin Magazine drops, uh, we are going to be, you know, within three weeks of the Bitcoin conference. So the entire Bitcoin world is coming down to Miami Beach, Florida. We are going to talk about everything Bitcoin we're going to talk about everything energy. We're going to talk about everything financial literacy. We're going to teach newbies about Bitcoin. We're going to have, you know, hardcore debates on stage. You know, there's going to be the entire spectrum. Um, we have three different passes online plus an after party. Uh, so go to b.tc forward slash conference. Check that out. Um, and hey, ticket prices are, are high because it's late in the game. If you check out the lineup of speakers of all the things that we have planned, Bitcoin week, all that good stuff. It's well worth its its weight in sats. And if you need some help uh, getting tickets, we have a lot of financial aid options. We have student tickets. Uh, if you're an open source developer, we're giving you industry passes, three, which is our three-day pass uh, for free. Uh, you know, Obviously, you need to use Brandon's code when you're, when you're buying, so that way you save 10% off. But it's well worth it. You got to go. It's really like a career-changing, trajectory-changing experience. You know, Bitcoin conference is how I got my first job in the space. And, you know, look at me now. <laughs> Came from the bottom. Now we're here. It's it's fantastic working in Bitcoin. Um, so, yeah, the Bitcoin conference. Come meet me there. I'll be giving out issues of my favorite book, The Sovereign Individual. I just ordered like eight copies. Uh, so just, you know, the top of my suitcase, I stuff it with as many sovereign individuals as I can fit. And then uh, give them out when people say, yo, give me one of those at the conference. I've been doing that every year. So. Uh, come find me at the event and yeah, it's going to be great. So see me at CB in Miami. Yeah, man. Great stuff. Uh, yeah. And I couldn't echo that sentiment anymore. Uh, you know, really meeting people in person, I think is, uh, you know, the, the, the true value that this uh, conference brings. If you want to just, you know, if you want to work in Bitcoin or if you just want to network with people, I think it's, it's outstanding. You never know what doors that, that could open, what hands you can shake and other things like that. So, Highly encourage everybody to go there and uh, come find me or CK there and uh, get a sovereign individual from him too. That's awesome stuff, dude. So CK, man, thanks so much for coming on. Thank you. Pleasure.